0: The Holy Gospel, according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. We were at the San Antonio Zoo playing on the teeter-totter, that perfect childhood toy that holds so many memories for so many of us. And this morning, as we were getting ready for 8 o'clock service, Marcia Nelson looked at the front of the bulletin and said to me, do they still have teeter-totters? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, they do, even kind of old-fashioned ones. The San Antonio Zoo has one that's made of wood. And now, of course, I have memories of my own children playing on the teeter-totter, not just my childhood memories. So my husband, Jamie, and I had taken our 16-month-old twins to the zoo, and part of the fun for them these days is that teeter-totter. They love to go and have a ride on it. Such rhythm and joy, each of them smiling as they go up and down. And they, we often get to hear one of those baby giggles, you know, that sound that is one of the best sounds in the whole world that you can hear. Well, that's where we were until Henry lost his position a bit and began to slip and his weight shifted off of his seat. Now, his dad was there to catch him, so he was just fine. But you know, Diana was about here at that point, so you know what this means for her, right? Boom, she went crashing down. Luckily, I was there kind of holding on to her too, so no twins were hurt in the making of this story. But it is the perfect illustration of balance. And so it came to mind for me today as I was looking at our readings from the Gospel of Matthew from the Old Testament from the New. In fact, I would tell you that life as a twin mom in general is about keeping things in balance more often than not. Learning how to share, trying to reduce the number of fights that we have by balancing the time that each twin gets with their favorite toys. And of course, learning as a mother and I think this applies to any parent with more than one child, not to play favorites, right? How do I balance my time and my attention with each of my children, even at this young age, to make certain that they know that I love both of them fully and completely? So we try to balance the hugs given, the stories read, the games enjoyed together. And this got me to thinking that life in so many ways is all about balance. When something is out of whack in our lives, I think we feel it from a muscle strained by carrying an over heavy briefcase to eyes strained from too much time spent on video games or staring at a computer screen to feet strained from walking, running around, doing this and that, trying to do it all and to take care of everything. Life can be spun out of balance by a hobby that begins to consume our lives or by a relationship that takes hold and makes us become our sole focus or a job that robs us of dear time with family and with friends. Life can be spun out of balance by an addiction which promises a satisfaction that never arrives. It can be spun out of balance when grief overtakes us and we struggle to move past a loss. To move to some place where the loss, at least, is not the only thing which defines us. Well, Jesus says to us today in his great masterwork, the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we are, dear folks. We are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel of Matthew. And these are the words that we hear in this portion of Jesus' sermon for this morning. You are the light of the world. Scholars have waxed and waned on these magnificent words, asking the question, is this a statement of fact, you are the light of the world, or is this an exhortation? You are the light of the world. In other words, is this proclamation simply a blessing, a gift to be received, a joyful reminder of the ways that we are loved and held and kept and forgiven by our gracious God? Or is it a call to action, a teaching to be obeyed, a humble reminder of the ways that we are to love others, care for others, and share with them the good news that they are held and kept and forgiven by a loving God? For Lutherans, this conversation is reminiscent of a larger conversation regularly held throughout our history. We confess that we are saved by grace through faith, without a doubt. But within that confession, there seems to be sufficient room for large amounts of debate. I'll never forget how high tensions were at Luther Seminary when I was a student there, as professors divided into different camps depending on how they understood these words, saved by grace through faith. For some of them, this meant that we had to do literally nothing, absolutely nothing to be saved. And for others, they felt that there must be something more. At a minimum, you had better not reject the grace. And one professor described it like this, saying you don't create the grace yourself, but you can turn away from it. Many folks, Struggle with the idea that you don't have to do anything to be saved. Such a teaching seems like a teeter-totter with only one writer. How will that work? It's radical, and especially difficult teaching to receive if you've spent your whole life trying to follow Jesus' teachings and at the end of the day, you haven't done a half-bad job, and you think about all those other folks in the world who have hurt others without a care, who've been selfish, not believers, and you can't help but wonder how it is that they could be saved just the same as you. Throughout my years as a pastor, I've heard so many people pause with incredulity, mouthing the words or whispering them to themselves, nothing? I don't have to do anything? Could that possibly really be true? Well, dear friends, it is. It is absolutely unequivocally true. There is nothing that you have to do. And at the end of the day, that can only be good news for all of us. We all have moments we regret. Mistakes that we've made. Weaknesses that have led us to struggles. You are the light of the world, Jesus proclaims to you this morning, and it is pure gift, absolute joy, perfect promise. And yet... Something inside us still just doesn't feel right receiving all of this, right? It's like when someone offers to bring you a meal or does something nice to you and you feel you have to repay it right away instead of just receiving the gift. Don't I have to do something? We keep wondering, and we're reminded of all the times that life has felt off balance, all the times that life has felt out of whack because of our misplaced priorities. All of the times that we felt like things could never be made right because of suffering, sadness, sin, and loss. Perhaps the best answer to that question, to that feeling, is this we don't have to do something, we get to do something. We get to be the light of the world. We get to share God's light with ourselves. We get to share God's light with others. One night in January, one of our confirmation students called a family meeting. He handed out a sheet of paper to each of his family members with, and I have to read this very carefully, S-C-S-G-K-A-O, 2020, written at the top, short for Super Cool Sebastian Gromick's Kindness Acts of 2020. He challenged each of his family members on that night to commit to acts of kindness, large and small, throughout the year 2020 and to record them on the pieces of paper he had, they had in front of them so that they might be more mindful of how they are indeed the light to the whole world. His grandmother, Jan Schubert Norris, had this to say about it. I am humbled, touched, and determined to do my part. Life is so utterly fraught with threats of external terror and internal pain. We must do the tiny things we can to send goodness into the universe. Dear friends, we get to be the light. I don't know how many of you remember, but for my rally day sermon this year, the Sunday where we kick off Sunday school and return to two services on Sunday mornings, I asked you all to share what you were excited about for this upcoming year. And I shared that what I was excited about, one of the things, was to sing Silent Night with all of you on Christmas Eve. Well, I have to tell you, it did not disappoint. Standing up front up here as your pastor and looking out at all of you is one of my most treasured moments each year. It's a sacred time to be able to look out and see all of you singing so faithfully the light of Christ illuminating your gorgeous faces and your even more beautiful hearts. You are indeed the light of the world. And once we have seen that light, received that light, reveled in it, we are ready. We are willing. We will go. Hide it under a bushel. No! We're gonna let it shine. As gorgeous and as beautiful as it is, life would be really out of balance if all we ever did was hunker down in here and sing Silent Night together, right? If we stayed in this sanctuary only, afraid to face the world and its challenges, saying it's too much, it's too overwhelming. If we kept this light only for ourselves. While our salvation is secure, and it most assuredly is, Our joy will never be complete until the whole world knows that the light has come for them just as it came for us all. Amen.